This is a podcast from Rover. Rex Today. With NetSpeed. Internet solutions for everyone. Talk to them today. Afternoon, New Zealand. How you doing today? This is Rex Today. I'm Dominic George. We're here until 12.30. Thanks, as always, to the team at NetSpeed. Coming up in just a moment, Andrew Hoggard, Federated Farmers President, back from the World Dairy Summit in India. We find out what he has learned in just a moment. Then we're going to be talking with the Chief Executive of Scott Technology, John Kippenberger, about this world-leading $11 million deal between two Dunedin-based businesses that's set to relieve pressure on the meat industry and provide better quality products to customers. John Kippenberger from Scott Technology to talk about that as well. It's all to come between now and 12.30. But first up on the show today, Federated Farmers President Andrew Hoggard has been in India for the World Dairy Summit. He arrived back in the country just a few days ago and he uh, joins us now from the dairy farm in the Manawatu. Andrew, nice to talk. How are you? Yeah, a little bit jet-lagged and fatigued, um, but yeah, good to be back in nice cool environment without seeing thousands and thousands of people around me. <laughs> what part of what, what part of India were you in? Uh, Delhi. Right. So yeah, for 50 million people within a 50k circle apparently. Wow, okay. There you go. There you go. Slightly different to New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. What were some of the key things that were spoken about? What did you get out of it? Um, I guess there was a very much a strong focus on India at this uh, summit. And, you know, so a key thing for them is they've got very big ambitious growth targets. Um, they've been growing at 6% a year and they intend to keep growing at 6% a year and I guess that hearing all of that and what they're intending to grow by just sort of made me think you know about back here in New Zealand and all the pushes seem to be for us to decrease production and yet yeah places like India um, it's full steam ahead they've got 10 times the footprint per kilo of milk than us and you've got to wonder you know that 6% increase per year it's probably the equivalent of our entire cattle emissions in terms, um, you know, in terms of emissions. Um, and you know, it just sort of made me think about what it is we're doing back here in New Zealand. You know, um, just seem hell bent on shutting things down rather than looking at the big global picture and what is the role we can play as you know a really efficient producer of food. And you know, it might look good for the politicians to go to. COP27 and all the other things to say, hey, we've reduced in New Zealand, but if you've, all you've done is added to global emissions, um, it's not really a success. So that, that was sort of one thing that was stewing through my mind throughout the whole thing, and there was you know, other things that came up in the, in the meetings as well. Yeah, look, we had your predecessor, Katie Milne, on um, Rex over the weekend, Hamish and myself, and uh, she was at the summit in Delhi as well, and we did raise the point in terms of the, uh, you know, these rather populous countries, the likes of India, China, etc., and what we're doing down here, and, uh, you know, it can be sometimes sort of difficult to be able to reconcile that when you consider the, um, you know, the rather punitive at times regulatory framework that uh, governs New Zealand farming from on high, uh, as opposed to uh, the, I guess, more sort of laissez-faire attitude for a lot of other countries when it comes to uh, agriculture, particularly, uh, as I said, those big populous countries. It can be a, sort of a hard thing to get, your, to get your head around and you sort of wonder where the, uh, well, what, what the point is. It certainly does. And, you know, it, um, yeah, you know, it's, we can't say we shouldn't do anything because most you know, customers are all wanting us to do things, but... You know, I think they're generally looking at that footprint. 
you know, per per kilo of product. And so, you know, to my mind, that's that's what we should be focusing on: just reducing the intent, you know, making our food more efficient, um, farming better, not less. And to me, that was you know, that's where I sort of think we we need to be focusing on, not just let's just reduce emissions. Um, you know, I mean, there's, for these developing countries, there's certainly a place for them, I think, to do their increase. Then, you know, they've got the headroom. Um, you know, like I said, India's got 10 times the per kg footprint that New Zealand does. So they could increase production if at the same time they get more efficient. Um, they'll be able to keep that same sort of greenhouse gas footprint and hopefully over time um, reduce it. But, you know, and that's probably where we can play more of a role. I actually went and visited a farm it's co-owned by New Zealanders over there, um, just north of Delhi. And, you know, for Indian standards, it's, pretty, it's a pretty massive farm, um, milking about 230-odd cows, um, whereas the average over there is two cows. Mm. And, you know, it's yeah, as a New Zealand farmer, I, I could look at the system and go, yep, yep, I, things I recognise here and ways of doing it I recognise. But it's not, you know, they're not trying to replicate New Zealand and India. Um, I think what they are showing is that Kiwi can-do attitude is the main thing. And I know lots of people talk about, oh, we can come up with the solutions and sell our IP offshore and make money from it. But I don't think there's any IP. It's just Kiwi farmers, you know, having to farm for so long without subsidies and all the rest of it. We've just got good at coming up with solutions. And the IP really is the individual um, there's no special products or anything that we'll come up with in New Zealand. Quite frankly, I think most of those will come from the rest of the world. So, you know, is there a way of us, you know, doing our part by sharing our, you know, some of our farmers' knowledge and ability and advice and, um, you know, number eight mentality with other part, you know, developing parts of the world? Very interesting point. So the intellectual property of the New Zealand farmer and our industry is really about uh, our ability to uh, take what's in front of us, adapt and make it work. Pretty much. That's what I've seen. You know, I look at all the future potential products that are coming about in the uh, climate change space and for mitigations. And, you know, a lot of the ones that I see will be that are most likely will end up on my farm. They don't originate in New Zealand. Um, so us throwing lots of money at coming up with products, yeah, I'm not sure that's... We could certainly do some research on how to adapt the products that come from offshore, but, you know, personally, I, I don't see us coming up with the game-changer for the rest of the world in terms of a, some sort of magic doohickey. <laughs> yeah, excellent term, doohickey. Um Right, so that's one of the main things clearly then that came out of it, the uh, the focus on India, what they're doing, their 6% annual growth targets and things like that. Um, what else was on uh, on the table for discussion in terms of uh, dairy on a, on a global stage, Andrew? Yeah, well, one of the things certainly in the business meetings we had before the, the main conference um, was... Just hearing from you know other parts of the world and how tough it is, quite frankly, for a lot of them in terms of energy prices and fertiliser. You know, we've got the high fert prices and the high fuel prices here in New Zealand, uh, but we don't have the the same high energy prices or the um, same feed costs because mm. you know predominantly grass fed. 
And yeah, parts of Europe, they're re- well, most of Europe, it sounded like were really, really struggling. And you know, heard of, I think it was in Germany. Um, you know, they were, someone was saying that potentially there's a whole bunch of cheese plants that uh, they're just going to shut down because like they just can't afford to pay the power bills. Mm, I've heard that. Food. Yeah, yeah, and you know, you think about that, and it, it's one of those moments where you say, "Thank God, I'm on this little island at the bottom of the world that no one." really cares about uh, um, because we do have some advantages here and like Fred Dagg says we don't know how lucky we are. Well they've got the problem at the moment of obviously the uh, the Russia-Ukraine war isn't helping anybody but you know no. <laughs> at the risk of uh, completely stating the obvious but when you look at the grain scenario there and I know that there's been a little bit of headway in terms of uh, some product being able to get out but that's obviously having a, that feed impact and um, then you've got the you know the gas line from, from Russia to the rest of Europe and that's a problem. So yeah, I'm I'm hearing as well that the um that the energy problem in Europe um is going to be quite severe. I've heard one or two people say that. Well, I mean, it's a chance for New Zealand to uh, capitalise on on that advantage, which I guess is uh, you know a byproduct of the scenario. Yeah, certainly that opportunity for us to you know well we'll be able to keep farming with hopefully maintaining decent margin. Um, or a margin, as, mm. as opposed to other parts of the world. I guess um, one other um, subject that uh, I really enjoyed uh, in the conference there was, um, you know, talking about dairy nutrition and the value of dairy nutrition, and certainly, you know, making there's a couple of presentations, uh, particularly good one from uh, Professor Paul Moynihan here from Ritter Institute, not too far away from me. Um, you know, doing the comparisons against um, plant-based be- beverages and talking about, you know, it's not just about calories, it's about the amino acids and the nutrients and the vitamins that are all in there and just showing how valuable dairy is in terms of global nutrition, in terms of delivering, you know, th- those vitamins and those essential nutrients that um, a global population needs. And yep, an individual can certainly um, make a vegan diet work for themselves, but you know it's going to cost them slightly more. But as a planet, um, we can't. We we need to have those animal source proteins in the mix as well, as well as the plants to actually provide the right nutrition for the entire planet. So, you know, there was a, it's always a good message to hear and um, gives you hope for the future that you know at the same you know all. All we seem to hear about in New Zealand is all the fake milks and all these other substitutes are going to take over and there's no future in pastoral agriculture. Whereas, you know, the message I got over there was actually when you get drilled down to it, there's very definitely a future for pasture-based agriculture and livestock. Yeah, I think that's a really good point you raise, and I'm glad you picked up on that because you're right, there is a big concerted public relations drive from uh, alternative proteins, and whether it be meat or milk, um, you you would have thought, as you say, that uh, that was basically going to be, well, that'll take over and there'll basically be no animal protein left. Uh, You know, people just won't want it and they won't be able to get it, but um, I think it's becoming more clear that that's not going to be the case, which bodes well for our two little islands, Andrew. Yes certainly does um, and yeah I think there's also you know not just the nutrition um, um, to it it's uh, taste and desirability as well <laughs> there's that too. Um, mm. I haven't heard too many great reviews about some of these um, fake products 
Well, Andrew Hogg, our president of Federated Farmers, thanks uh, very much for coming on and uh, giving us your report from the World Dairy Summit in Delhi. I think what was the next one, uh, Chicago next year, is it? Yep, yep, uh, Chicago, uh, a bit later in the uh, middle of October this time, so thankfully at a more appropriate time and um, all the cash should be carved and I won't get a running update while I'm away of uh, <laughs> all the problems that are occurring back home while I'm swanning around overseas. Yeah. Oh, good man. I appreciate your time. Thank you. No worries. Cheers. Rex Today. With NetSpeed. Connecting the country and now with mobile phones. All right, welcome back. Well, I uh, love this story. We've got a world-leading 11-odd million dollar deal between two Dunedin-based businesses which will relieve pressure on the meat industry and provide better quality products to customers. Uh, now, this deal's between Silverfern Farms and Scott Technology. And uh, Scott Technology is set to deliver a fully automated lamb processing system uh, expected by late... 2023. Joining us to talk about it, Scott Technology Chief Executive John Kippenberger. Good to have you on the show, John. How are you? No, good, thanks, Dominic. Good uh, piece of kit, this one. Explain to us exactly how it works. Yeah, very exciting deal. You know, as you said, combining two strong New Zealand businesses out of the South Island and uh, agriculture and technology and taking quality product to the world. So the way that line works is it combines X-ray systems out of Scott Technology uh, at the front end of the cutting line, um, that determines you know, the optimal place for the big cuts to be made. So uh, carcass value optimization essentially. And then that's followed by uh, a range of robotics and mechanical automation to break down the carcass along those precision cut lines that have been identified in the X-ray system. Effectively, to sum it up, you've got uh, this system which x-rays the carcass, sends that information to the cutting machines, and then they are automatically adjusted to basically take apart each lamb cleanly and effectively, so very little waste um, and very efficient. Yeah, that's correct. Very high speed, so 600, 600 carcasses a minute. You can imagine the data transfer and the, and the thousands of data points that are going from the x-ray to the robotics. That's where a lot of the real smart engineering from Scott comes into play. Um, and then being able to um, program robotics that cut on, on a multi-dimensional line is, is where the value you know, really comes into play. Yeah, um, having a bit of a read about this, John, one of the things that struck me as uh, quite pertinent for the industry at the moment is the fact that what it means is uh, you've got people who would normally be on that particular part of the line can then be deployed to other sectors. And with the uh, shortage of workers uh, at the moment, particularly in those uh, meat processing plants, um, it's, a, I guess, a, a real timely addition to, uh, to some of these factories. Yeah, correct. I think like like a lot of companies in New Zealand, um, silver ferns and other rural industries are struggling for labour supply. So you're absolutely correct. It allows that labour to be repositioned to other parts of the of, of the cutting line. So um, positive also from a health and safety because at the front end of the line is big heavy equipment separating the big cuts of the lamb carcass. So. Um, takes the labour away from that sort of environment and, and positions it to higher value-adding roles within the plant. So in terms of the rollout of this bit of kit, uh, John, when and where can we expect to see the first of these deployed? Well, you see, uh, Scott Technology started working with Silverfern Farms over about a decade ago on this technology. So 
it's actually been in in um, various plants around New Zealand and Australia for quite some time. Right. The technology continues to evolve, as does X-ray vision systems and robotics. But um, the the genesis of this started some time ago. So we've got about uh, fifteen of these machines, uh, like I say, across Australasia. And this is another one. It's an important step forward and in the relationship with silver fern farms that, that, as I said, has gone on for a long time. And good to see this big company continuing to invest in, in world-leading technology. Uh, there's one, there is one going into the South Otago plant soon? Yes, yes. So this, this, is, uh, this is the one for the Finnegan plant in South Otago. Uh, that'll be, uh, as you said earlier, built over the sort of next nine to 12 months. And so go in there for the next season. So... Um, very exciting, large investment for that plant for sure. Uh, very good. Now, Scott Technology's been going very well in terms of what I've been reading, uh, you know, in, in the last wee while. Uh, some significant milestones for uh, the company uh, of, of late as well. Yes, yeah, but uh, well, there's a, a strong demand for automation across a couple of big sectors that Scott Technology's involved with. Um, we recently announced a uh, $35.5 million US dollar deal to put a big warehousing system into a large Canadian plant, uh, actually a meat plant um, in Brooks, Canada. So that's a large deal coming out of our European operations, but also combining some of our US um, technology as well. So you know, we're continuing to to be very focused on, on a few big segments. You know, meat processing is certainly one of those. Um, our product into the mining industry, um, which is going strong in West Australia, but also other parts of the world, um, and material handling logistics. Uh, they're certainly all, all um, doing some good things. Yeah, well, that one with uh, the Canadian processing facilities, that one there has uh, struck me as a, as, a, as a real big deal. I mean, that was worth, what, about $56 million. That's your largest ever contract, I think, in the uh, the, the hundred-odd-year history of of the company. Yeah, that's a, that's a big deal, uh, certainly for sure, uh, in the history of the company and just uh, shows the evolution of the technology coming out of Scott. Um, that is a 100,000 carton warehouse um, that runs essentially automatically, um, combining big storage and retrieval systems with some robotics as well. So um, it, it, yeah, another important step forward for Scott Technology and, and what you've said is a long and rich history and and deploying world-leading technology to the, the big markets around the world. Very good indeed. Well, I appreciate the update and uh, look forward to uh, chatting again. Uh, John Kippenberger, who was uh, Scott Technology Chief Executive. Appreciate your time, John. Thank you very much. Thanks, Dominic. couple of things to finish off with today. I see that the government's taken a step towards protecting the uh, country's most productive land from urban development. So uh, this was uh, released yesterday. It's the National Policy Statement for Highly Productive Land, and it aims to ensure that land uh, like this can be used for growing vegetables, fruit and other produce. Councils, though, will need to identify, map and manage productive land to protect it from inappropriate use and development, but they still can make it available for urban housing.
if there is no alternative or if certain tests are met. So the reaction to that, I see some people are saying that there's a wee bit of concern that it's going to take around three years to really implement and it of course relies heavily on coordination between various authorities. Uh, set to come into effect 17th October this year but any land uh, already marked for subdivision will still go ahead. The other thing to talk about today is I see that uh, the latest Beef and Lamb New Zealand Stock Number Survey um, it shows that farmers have continued to adapt quickly to challenging circumstances. Sam McIver, Beef and Lamb Chief Executive, he says uh, that the report shows sheep numbers in New Zealand were steady over the past year. Beef cattle numbers fell only slightly, and that's despite unfavourable conditions in some regions like Southland and Otago, of course, had to battle the drought and the lack of feed uh, through the early parts of the year. So that uh, meant a reduction in breeding use. And the report uh, showed the extent of farmland as well that has been converted to forestry. That remains a significant concern. Uh, McIver says he wants specific limits on the amount of forestry which could be used to offset fossil fuel emissions in the ETS. So that remains a valid concern. That is a show for today. As always, thanks to the team at NetSpeed. Make sure you go online. Check out netspeed.net.nz Unlimited rural broadband from 99 bucks a month. Mark and Leah next. Rex today. With NetSpeed. Internet till the cows come home.